If you listen to the podcast, you have definitely heard of the website called unitedharvest.com. Now, if you haven't gone to the website and actually checked out what the premium meats are that they're offering, that's a problem that you have still. You need to go to unitedharvest.com, type in the promo code FRIENDS15 to get 15% off your first order. Go check out unitedharvest.com, lamb, beef, pork, whatever you want, unitedharvest.com. Check it out today. This is the show with Cannon Brown. What I'm getting at is, is, and I tell people this all the time if I'm helping them with their show pigs, I'm like, don't compare your beginning to somebody else's middle. You know, I mean, you've got to really know where you're at because everybody started somewhere. And if you start, you know, comparing what somebody else has worked, you know, a lifetime to achieve to, to your first year, well, that's not going to be fair. That last few minutes might have been a little confusing. You'd like to know who I was talking to, wouldn't you? Well, howdy there, folks. It's it's good to talk to you again. It's been a little bit. Um, if you're listening to this in the future and you just think this is a consecutive episode after the last one, you would be sorely mistaken. Check the dates. It's been a little while since I've released the last episode. That's on me. Um, but I, I think I am going to hit you guys with a good episode today, especially if you're in the show industry and you're interested in the industry. Um, the guy that I have on today, you saw the name, Brad Mayberry. Mabry. My apologies. He is an incredible guy. If you've seen him judge, if you've seen if you've seen him work with kids, he is just an emblem for the industry on how to work with the youth and how to show them the path to a better future and how to work with other people. Um, we talk a lot about teamwork in this episode, especially in the industry, and I think it's a good topic. He he he's a, he's a He's a Sunglow rep now, um, and uh, he's helping out a bunch of kids across the country. So I hope you guys like this one. Um, a little bit about me. Um, not much. I'm working. I'm working on these videos. Um, some of you guys might know that I'm working on a little docu-series uh, about kids showing livestock that me, Jake Richardson, Sam Burmeister, and Joseph Fickett went on in December. I'm still editing those videos. They should be out shortly. Um, sports betting just became legal in Arizona, so that's been kind of fun. Um, I'm very, very new, so if you have any uh, lock-in picks for uh, sports betting, uh, hit my line. Um, I might be losing money, but it's 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 a fun game. It's a fun game. Don't it, it, I don't have a problem yet. We'll, we'll see. All right, guys. Um, Well, that's enough of me talking. I haven't talked to you guys in a while, so that's why I added a little bit extra on this one. Um, Reach out to me if you have any questions. Uh, If you're wondering why I haven't been releasing episodes, just reach out to me. I'll I'll kind of talk to you more about it um, if you want more details. Uh, But I should be releasing more consistently. I've got some lined up for you guys, uh, and I've got a good one to start out with for you right now. That's enough of me talking. Let's do it, Mr. Brad Mayberry. You're safer here than any place else. Now just lock yourself in and keep quiet. But I'm glad we finally got together. I mean, I know we've been trying to get this put together for a while, um, and I'm just glad that you could find the time out of your day to make it work. I know you you just got done feeding, so you guys had a busy day, probably. Uh, yeah, it was a it was a good diverse day. Uh, we uh, 
we, the kids didn't have school today, so we got to do Kenton's favorite passion, and, and coming up to be one of mine was we went fishing. And so we fished this morning pretty hard, and then when he had a, uh, my youngest son, Kenton, he's eight, he, uh, uh, both the boys were playing baseball, so we had a, a baseball game tonight. And got done playing baseball and went and fed pigs. So a lot of hobbies. We're, we're all in it for everything, it seems like. <laughs> That's how you have to be, though, right? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I think uh, I think balance is a very very good thing to add to a family. Yeah. No, I remember when we um, initially started talking about uh, having an interview. One of your main points of, points of focus you wanted that you wanted to talk about was giving your children uh, like the most opportunity possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and from what you guys have been doing, from what I see on Facebook, you guys give them the most opportunities possible. That's for sure. I feel. Well, I think, you know, just to use the analogy of food, I mean, if you only ate your favorite food, it'd be hard to have a favorite food. You know what I mean? Like, you don't eat this one thing. And so I love the, 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 the show industry. It's where I feel like I got my first sense of accomplishment as a kid. And I have my sense of identity through that. And while I want my kids to experience it, but I'm not going to force it on them where it's their identity. And, uh, you know, I want them to get from it the things that it got me, which is this awesome, you know, sense of um, community. But if they find their community in baseball, I'll support that totally. Um, I get that. I mean, I, I kind of went out on a limb and started showing pigs randomly. So for them to go do something, and it might be bass fishing for Kenton, I have no idea. And whatever it is, um, I want them to try a lot of things and find their passion in something and um, – yeah, I mean, that, that's something that, you know, sometimes you have to realize that your job as a parent is to expose them to things and encourage them in the things that make them tick, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's like the biggest cliche in the book is that a parent raised their kid to kind of go towards the parent's aspirations and what they wanted to do when they were a kid. Um, it's, it's kind of the oldest deal uh, that everybody kind of knows about. But, and you're right, it kind of does happen in this industry where kids are kind of pushed into it because their parents were really into it or they have some family history. And sometimes it's not right for them. Just like sometimes baseball or soccer isn't right for a kid either. It's, it has to to be pretty hard as a parent. It is very hard to force passion. And so you can force a kid to play baseball and you can force a kid to show pigs, but you cannot force them to be passionate about it. And so, you know, there's plenty of breeders kids out there that are awesome at this. There's plenty of former awesome show people out there whose kids are awesome at this, but there's also plenty that you can tell the kid's heart's not in it and they don't want to do it. And they're not as intimidating as probably what their parents were when they were showing. And so, you know, the scariest thing out there is for somebody uh, who's very passionate and hardworking and likes to practice. And when you put that together, it doesn't matter if they know what they're doing or not, they're going to get it figured out real quick. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have, my oldest son plays the guitar, and when I'm not a musical person, and he's a phenomenal guitar player. Um, he's very, very passionate about it, to the point of being hard-headed. Um, and he's just going to figure it out. It doesn't matter what you put in front of him; he will figure it out if it's the guitar because he's so passionate about it. That's got to be one of the coolest things about like just raising kids is finding their own passions and like oh, trying to just push them towards what their interests are. Well, I think one of the most rewarding things we don't have to push them at all when they start kind of taking over that role and they start pushing themselves and, 
you know, for Landry, my oldest son, he's 10, and that, that has been the guitar for him since he was five. And to see him grow in something, and he doesn't even know he's working at it, it's playing. And, you know, I think people do that with certain things. You know, it might be video games for a kid, and not to take away that sense of accomplishment if the kid's playing video games, because they are working on their skill doing that. They are working on something, and there's a sense of accomplishment, and there's some kind of missed out on high five moments in there because we don't value that as parents. We don't value video game play. And so it's kind of a bummer when the kids, you know, he's working on something, he's learning these new skills within the game and learns how to beat it. And there's nobody to high five. We're lucky enough that Kent Landry picked up the guitar because when he does something, I mean, you can, you can hear it, you can see it, it's entertaining. And so, man, it's the most rewarding thing in the world when he's pushing himself that hard. He doesn't want to go to bed. You know, he doesn't want to, he wants to pick his guitar up before he goes to school. And, you know, kids do that with video games all the time because it's got their attention. And for him, he's just lucky enough to where, you know, that gets got his attention. Yeah, he's and he's good on it. I mean, I I look through, I look at those Facebook posts every time you guys post a video of him strumming the guitar. I think that there was one the other night where he was just sitting on a couch. He was videoing him and he was strumming that thing. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, he likes the fingers. It's like finger pick. And yeah. He likes, he likes John Mayer, and there's some stuff in there that's, like, really technically hard, but he'll slow it down. You know, kids can do it with YouTube now. It's just – it'll blow your mind, man. I mean, you can slow the videos down, and he'll see exactly how he's doing it, and uh, it's, it's neat. It's, he's, it's, it's, he's a very normal kid, though, like, like, like all of our kids are. I mean, he's, he still likes his video games. He's still – all that stuff, but he, uh, he does work at that. He's got a – an old soul when it comes to his taste in music. He likes old blues, which is kind of funny. <laughs> like, yeah. And he likes new blues too, the Tedeschi Trucks band. Like, people like that. If you don't know who that is, but he's, he, he's got a cool taste in music. Yeah, that's just, that is awesome. And, and what are some, what are the other sports that your uh, kids play? They play baseball? Well, not really. Um, We've never been big into sports because um, they have, unfortunately, my body. And so um, they, uh, they're they not going to be blessed in that regard. They, they love baseball, though. We, we moved to a community, Crawford, right outside of Waco, that is very sports-driven. And um, didn't know that before we got here, but it's very, very sports-driven, as, as Texas as you can find in terms of sports. And, um, man, they got really – in my opinion, really good at, at baseball really quick. I mean, it's it's a town that really takes this stuff serious, and so they've kind of taken it serious too. Um, I don't know on the football thing. We're going to have to cross that. I, I, I've got mixed feelings on little kids playing football. Um, yeah. <laughs> we'll have to cross that. Yeah, I, I personally wasn't even allowed to play tackle football. I My mom thought really? I was going to be uh, – she thought I was going to – college to play baseball and she didn't want me to get hurt or something i don't know but there's there was no chance of me playing college ball that's for sure i don't know what she was thinking that's what i love about baseball though you know i mean you look at that like like that the bodies that make it into the major league you couldn't guess them looking at them i mean there's some guys on there that have very normal you know heights and very average looking bodies and builds and uh they're in there, so that's what I, I keep telling the boys. I mean, it's a it's a sport that if you work at it, uh, anything's possible. You know, that's for sure. Yeah, like I mean, you were just saying you they have your body type. I was thinking the same thing when you were saying that. I mean, baseball is a perfect sport for that. If if not that or soccer, I mean, there's short guys in soccer that are kicking butt too. 
Yeah, I mean, look at Jose Altuve in baseball. Yep, yep. He's a short little sucker, and he, I mean, they cheated, but whatever. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, trust me. And you know kids at 10, I mean, they know this stuff. Yeah. Like, uh, they, uh, it's crazy. I mean, he, we're gonna, actually, we're going to catch a Rangers game uh, this weekend. They're going to go to the first major league game. And I said, you guys want to watch the Rangers, or you want to shoot down to Houston and watch the Astros? Well, I'm not watching them. They're cheaters. I'm like, okay, bud. I didn't know how you felt about that being a, a Texas resident and all. Um, I didn't know if you had stood behind the team. No, I haven't really got into it too much. Okay, perfect. I haven't got yeah. into it too much. Awesome. I don't feel bad about talking crap then. If there's any Houston <laughs> fans on here, sorry about it. Yeah, sorry, guys. <laughs> so uh, did you play any sports when you were uh, coming up? I, I played golf. Um, played golf. Yep, I uh, I played golf. I took that pretty serious. I kind of I wish I'd being around baseball. I wish I would have tried that. I've never even played baseball, but it, it's a great team game. It is a it is a great introduction to sports to me with the kids. I I just love it as a as a parent. I think uh, we've got a great community and a great set of coaches, and uh, we're lucky enough that both the teams the boys are on are very good, and so they've kind of just gotten really good because of the depth of the team they're on uh they don't know any different you know and so um but i wish i would have played baseball for sure yeah it it is a really good team sport i mean you really get to learn how to play with others lose with others win with others i mean it because it, it really is everybody on that team even the right fielder it's you guys are in it together we uh we've been doing some two on two wiffle ball tournaments out front and are in the backyard here recently between this family and I'll tell you there's never been anything more heated than a close play at second. It's, oh, I mean it's it's uh it's big time around here. You you need two arms. But for the record, Kent and I have been beating Landry and Kyla the last couple times. So oh great. gosh, if they hear this, they're going to be upset. Well, not Kenton. I mean, he's had <laughs> Well, yeah. Kent, Kent, when we tee it up, Kent, Kent hits dingers. <laughs> Beautiful. That's awesome. Now, I, you judge a bunch of shows. How do we um, How do we make, like, showing livestock more of a team sport between everybody else? I mean, we kind of get locked in individually. How do we make it more of a team sport and, and create that atmosphere? You know, I think we have. I think, you know, there are all these show teams that go out. I think the one element – that I wish we could do in showing livestock is I'll give you a prime example. Um, Landry is on a team that a lot of kids have played select baseball and he is very green. I mean, didn't know how to swing a bat, didn't know how to hold a bat, never caught a baseball, never threw a baseball. Um, doesn't understand the rules of the game. Nothing. And he gets on a team of like basically eight all-stars and he's a nice kid. And so, <laughs> to be honest with you, I was very, it's very Sandlot, like the main character of Sandlot. And, oh, okay. and, and he knows that, and he's, you know, so he starts off in two weeks and he's humiliated. And I was thinking about how he got his first base hit and his whole team came running around him and, you know, they were telling him great. And they, they know that they're going to win and lose by how good Landry is because there's only nine kids on the team. And, uh, and so, they rally around him. And, and I guess what I'm getting at is, is to make the, the jump into the show world is he's not hitting home runs. He's not turning double plays. But for Landry and what he's doing, these base hits, his stolen bases, and those small things that he's doing, his teammates, it's helping them win. But they're also 
impressed by how hard he's working. And I don't know if the show world, if we do a good enough job at celebrating second, um, without a patronizing good for you, you know, good, good for you. I don't know how to work that in. But what I'm getting at is, is, and I, I tell people this all the time, if I'm helping them with their show pigs, I'm like, don't compare your beginning to somebody else's middle. You know, I mean, you've got to really know where you're at because everybody started somewhere. And if you start, you know, comparing what somebody else has worked, you know, a lifetime to achieve to, to your first year, well, that's not going to be fair, you know? Yeah. And so um, I, I think finding a way to get more recognition for that, that hardworking family that just still doesn't know what they're doing totally yet. That still makes some rookie mistakes. Um, you know, and, and we're that, we're that family in baseball. And it's made me realize and be more aware of the people that are like that, that are showing pigs that they have just as much zeal, just as much passion, just as much excitement around the show world, but they're just green and they just need to learn how to, how to catch and throw. And, uh, I think that is probably why I enjoy this new job so much is that that's the people I really want to interact with is the people that really just all they need is a little bit of guidance. And there's no guarantee that I'm going to get them to win San Antonio or Houston, you know, but that doesn't mean we're not going to give it our best try. And, and I think the people who enjoy getting better, those are the most people to be around. Yeah. I want to win. I don't like losing, but if we can celebrate getting better, that feels like a team. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think that's why baseball, for us has been so fun because we've just enjoyed, you know, watching the boys get better. Well, that's kind of the only attitude that you need when you're first beginning is just all, all any family needs in the beginning is just the passion to learn and the yeah. passion, yeah. not the passion to win, not the passion to get banners, not in baseball, not the passion to get the trophy at the end of the year, just the passion to get through the process and learn more and more each time. I think that should be the mindset of every beginning family and any any hobby that they're trying to get into. I think that's the best course of action. Yeah, and I think you're trying to find that balance, you know, where um, where winning's not a relief. You, mm-hmm. know, you put so much into something. You know, sometimes I look at a guy like Nick Saban, and, you know, I would think that at some point for him – he's relieved when he wins. He's not as excited as he used to be because there's so much pressure. And I know we've got families and show families that, you know, for whatever reason, the industry puts on them this pressure to win. You know, that's so-and-so. They have to win. Uh, man, they got second. They got third. Can you believe that? And and I think that's an unfair amount of pressure for anybody. Um, but, you know, for these families that are just getting started, the, the first thing I would tell them is, is, this is very hard. Okay. That's why we all like it. It's very hard. Um, and unfortunately it's not a Rubik's cube. It's not a puzzle. There's no equation or math to it. It's a little closer to an art. Um, but at the same time, even though we know it's very hard, I can tell you getting to the middle to the upper part of your class is actually very easy. Um, now winning is hard, but, but getting to that middle tier is very easy and it, it, it just requires an amount of attention more than effort, if that makes sense. Yeah. It, it won't feel like effort, but that attention is what you need to really focus on. That's a really good way to put it, actually. It's, it is pretty easy. I mean, after 
I mean, a year or two, three years, you can see families that just started come into the middle of a class and kind of stay there for a little while. Uh, it, it takes a little bit more, um, I don't even know if it's effort or work or anything to get to the, or money to get to the yep. top two or top two or three uh, right. in each class. That's a good way to put it. Well, you know, I always tell people starting out, there's three things if you want to do good at your county fair. Clean feed, clean pens, clean water. Like those three things. Most people, most <laughs> That'll get you there. Most people will go, oh, yeah, yeah, that, I know what you mean. But we want we want a lever to pull. We want a button to push. And I'm like, no, 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 no. There's no secret levers. There's no secret buttons. You know, but, but go back to what I said. Clean feed, clean pens, clean water. How good can you do those three things? And that's where that attention comes in. Are you willing to scoop out their feeder and dump fresh feed in? Are you willing to clean out their water and make sure they have fresh water? Will you, how clean is your clean pens? You know, we clean pens twice a day. We, we build that into our schedule. And you know, it, because of that, we are always cleaning clean pens, if that makes sense. Yeah. We don't clean dirty pens, we clean clean pens. And it doesn't require a bunch of effort when you do that. What requires a bunch of effort is when you don't clean your pens and then you have to go out and clean out the barn. And then all of a sudden this massive chore, you know, knocks back your, your effort and confidence and, it, and, it, and you're not paying attention to that detail. Um, but, you know, I, that's the first thing is people will do clean feed, clean pens, clean water. I mean, you'd be surprised how the health and you start noticing things, right? You notice it faster because you're in there twice a day. You're, you're paying attention to the small stuff and you will go from getting gated to making the cut of jackpot shows in counties you'll go from you know that that just that amount of attention will pull you up into a place that you weren't before and then you can start focusing on the more fine-tuning details about feeding strategies and 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 things like that but just to get off bottom i'm telling you that is the that's the bar right yeah i bet as um as a feed specialist and and working with a lot of customers, I bet you have to kind of reinforce that back back to basics attitude with your customers a lot, uh, especially nowadays. I, I think there's a lot of people that are looking for that edge. They're looking for that secret product that can add this this place and and muscle here, fat there, cover here. I bet there's right. a lot of conversations where you're like, hey, my, maybe just start here. And right. and maybe in six months or two years we can have that conversation. <laughs> well, I mean, I I love I love the company that I work for. I, I love the the conversations we have kind of behind the scenes about the industry and about you know how we can help people and things like that. But you know, I'll I'll tell you if there was a product that would make them all champions, I hope it never comes out. You know because. What I'm telling you is, is it's impossible, right? Because all it does is it would just raise that that level even higher. Yeah. At the end of the day, you know, it's just like in baseball. You know, they'll sell you 500 different products to fix your kid's swing. You know what's going to fix your kid's swing? Swinging. <laughs> Practice. <laughs> Practicing, right? And so um, I will tell you, I say this all the time, and this, this quote comes across terribly, you know, if you if you don't really think about it and, and I always say winners focus on winning and losers focus on winners and that comment is, is usually if I if I go to help a family there's always a family in their county that's beating them and they have convinced themselves that the people that are winners are cheaters 
are they're doing something they're unwilling or unable to do. Like, well, they spend more money than us, and, and they know this judge, or they know this, they know that, and they're probably cheating and doing this. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's what you want to believe, because what you want to go to bed at night believing is that only cheaters can beat you. And what I'm going to tell you is, is they're just outworking you. And the truth of the matter is, is you haven't put enough attention and work into beating them, right? So we're going to go back. We're going to focus on clean pens, clean pen, uh, clean feed, clean water. And we're really going to take that to the edge of the earth in terms of effort and attention, make those things great. Then we'll focus on just us. So at the end of the year, when we get beat, tell me what you could have done better, right? If it's nothing, I promise you we'll be taking a picture together. And what, what really ends up happening is, and I've seen it a bunch, with, luckily with some families that I've helped, where they go and win their state fair. And afterwards, I go, hey, do you think those people were cheaters? And they're like, no. No, not at all. But guess what the rumor comes back through the barn is that they're now the cheaters. And I say, how does that feel, right? Because that's you, right? Those people that are talking about you are you three or four years ago. And so, but that's okay. That's natural. You know, I think that's a that's a human's natural kind of self-protection to uh, – to not focus within. And I think the, the, the true people that are hard to beat, you know, back to that Nick Saban, the Bill Belichick's of the world, they really probably harshly focus on themselves and getting better. Yeah. I think you just described a cycle that happens in every single livestock association in the country, because mm -hmm. I, I feel like that there, and it's a turnaround of four years is what you like. I think you hit it right on the nail. That's yeah. I, I feel like that happens in every single organization around the country that's showing livestock, uh, that same ordeal. Now, let me let me be very honest. I'm not immune to it either. Right? Oh, of and course I, not. When, when I was a kid, um, we so we started showing pigs. I'll tell you a little bit. We started showing pigs. So I grew up in New Orleans. Um, my dad trained racehorses. Matter of fact, he ran a horse in the Kentucky Derby the year I was born. Um, but we struggled financially. We were a very poor family i mean uh we, we didn't go without but we were very poor and we moved probably 10 times before i graduated high school i kind of wear that as a badge of honor now but to be honest with you i grew up with a lot of like shame around money and privilege and that's a whole nother podcast but i, I will tell you um my brother and I were probably a little bit of misfits in terms of just the financial status that we came in, but we were very well taken care of financially, uh, not financially, but as far as our family goes. We didn't have a lot of money, uh, very little money. And then when we moved to Texas, my dad um, started more on the breeding side of uh, racehorses than he did on the on the on track training. And we went to the Fort Worth Stock Show and we were at the breeding show and my dad's like, is this something you want to do? And I I was like, heck yeah. And uh, I actually got to judge the Fort Worth Breeding Guilt show not too long ago. And it, it, I can't express to you how proud I was of myself. It's strange to say in that regard, but I felt like my dad was there. I lost my dad whenever I was 17. And I just had this cool feeling. And it was very nostalgic for me. To, I was looking at some kids that kind of had their elbows rested on the fence watching. And I'm like, my elbows were sitting right there, you know, and those kids are probably thinking, you know, I want to win this show. I mean, I, I don't know if I ever thought about judging it, but I always, you know, I can remember like begging God to let me stand in the champion drive <laughs> at a major stock show. I'd never yeah. thought he'd give me the microphone to do it, but you know, and, and, you know, people might look at that and go, that's not a very big show. It's, it's not, it's not, it's not the crown jewel of the Texas majors, but I will tell you for me, 
the, you know, little fourth grade Brad Mabry, there, there's nothing bigger. You know, and I made sure that person was out in the ring when I was picking the champion. But I can tell you this. Once that journey started with us, we were haters. You know, whoever beat us, they were cheaters. Whoever beat us, they spent more money than us. We were unwilling and unable or, you know, to, to do what those people were doing. And then as we started asking more questions, and I would tell you as a child, I was a pretty bold kid when it came to asking questions. Um, don't mind talking. I'm sure that's something that, you know, uh, uh, everybody says about me, and I know that. But that gift of gab, I guess, allowed me to have a lot of wash rack talk with some people that were getting my, you know, kicking our butts. And so um, if somebody beat us, I walk right up to them and say, what do you, what do you think you're doing that I'm not? And uh, most people are honest. Well, I just think I'm outworking you. Okay, but what, what are you doing? Nobody ever didn't tell me what they were doing. You know, I brush more than you. I walk more than you. I, you know, then I started doing those things. And by the time I graduated high school, we were good. You know, I made the sale at every Texas major, uh, had, I've had a couple of division winners. I mean, like we, we, with no money, you know, I mean, $200 picks, yeah. $300 picks. And, and, and so that's when it kind of clicked and everybody wishes they could go back and know what they know now. And, uh, no matter how hard you tell somebody just clean pens better. You know, I promise you there are families that are winning these Texas majors are not getting lucky. You know, they're actually unlucky because I, if you saw the amount of failure they had in their barn, it'd blow your mind. <laughs> you know, they, they, I promise you, if you see these people's, you know, what, what is not turning out, it's, it's pretty normal, but what they're not allowing to happen is bad, you know, dirty waters, unclean pens, you know, pigs not being broke, mange, you know, that's not happening in their bar. They've eliminated that. Um, and they've, they've narrowed it down to, if I get the right pig, the care inside this facility is going to take it as far as anybody can take it. We'll be right back with a word from our sponsors. UnitedHarvest.com. Check them out. You know you want to. Do you like meat? I know you do. Are you in the industry? Yes, you are. Go check out UnitedHarvest.com. Dot com. If you like meat, just go check it out. Use the promo code FRIENDS15. I don't know why you haven't yet. UnitedHarvest.com. Yeah. When you were... Uh, it, so you kind of looked at people when you first started getting into it with that kind of outlook, like, oh, they're doing something different, they're cheating. And then when you started to actually, actually ask around and, and actually do those things for yourself that they were doing, it kind of clicked that, hey... They're not cheaters. They're not doing anything. They're just kind of outworking me. Well, so I'll tell you 100%. And I'll tell you the exact person who it was and who the winners were. Um, okay. Carrie Mason at the time, which is now Carrie Brockman. Her dad, Billy Rash, is like a – if you had to etch a Mount Rushmore of Texas show, like Billy Rash is on, that, on my Mount Rushmore at least. I'll tell you that. He okay. is – He's an incredible dude, an incredible guy, and a great stockman. Um, he's very, very practical human being. Well, him and my dad went to college together at Sam Houston State University. Well, Carrie won everything. I think she won every Texas major. She won with a steer. She won Fort Worth with a barrow, a Duroc. Uh, I remember that year, Camp Macklemore. I think she got the pick from Camp Macklemore, if I remember right. 
um, one of my favorite animals I've ever seen. Um, she had also had a really good lamb that year. And I didn't know her growing up, to be perfectly transparent. I just looked at their cattle and their pigs and everything, and I was like, what are they doing that we're not doing? And my dad basically just went up to Billy, and I remember Billy having this conversation with my dad about, y'all just need to work harder. You, know, you just have to do a better job. And my, I remember my dad being very disappointed with that answer because, like I said, my dad wanted this button to push or this lever to pull. He wanted this kind of – pull the curtain back on Oz and really see what this whole industry is about. And he wanted an easy button to hit and Billy didn't have one to hit. And he didn't have one to share. He just was like, Hey, we don't spend that much money either. We, we work harder than everybody. You know, she's as good of a showman as anybody. And, uh, and so, you know, as I got older, I started to see that what Billy was saying was very true. Um, that, the amount of work that you put into it, it won't guarantee you that many banners. It will guarantee you a feeling of success and the fact that, hey, I did everything I can. It's like that scene on Rudy. Did I have I done everything I can? And I think when you eliminate that, you eliminate your own effort, great things will happen. Um, and I, I, it, the fact that the, the Brockmans have done so well um, and Carrie's kids um, have done so well at majors is not surprising to me. Um, that's not random. That That's a generation even before them of instilled work ethic. And so um, I, we've all had that haters mentality. And, and I, not speaking for anybody else, but even the people who have already figured it out still sometimes leave shows with that of not focusing on the right things. But I, you have to remind yourself – you might be mad when you're leaving a show and you might be mad on the way home, but I would challenge any show dad out there. When you turn out the lights that night and you ask yourself, is there anything we could be doing better? I promise you there's something you could be doing better. And if you'll focus on that rather than what happened that day, you will limit the amount of times you get beat. Mm. Now, do you have these conversations with, uh, like kind of that we're having right now. Do you ha- do you say this to your customers that are kind of new in the industry? Do you? Sit I down? do. I do. I, you know, I'm new to this. I'm a very blunt person, um, and so um, I have it more with kids than I do with adults. Perfect. Because, I think that's even better. Yeah, because here's the thing: kids do not like to be lied to. They don't like to be patronized. My kid swung at a pitch that was over his head tonight. I didn't tell him good swing, buddy. I was like, Kenton, that was terrible. He goes, I know. What was I thinking? Now, what I'm saying is, like, if I would have said that was a good swing, he would have, like, lost respect for me. And I'm not shouting at him. It was after the game we were talking. But what I'm getting at is, is kids love honesty. Now, with that being said, when they do something great, you've got to be there quick to be honest with them. But what I, I always ask a question. If I go into a person's barn... And they've got really, really wet, dirty pits. My question to them is, would you raise your kids in an industry where winners had pins like this? You know, hey, there was 14 available feedings last week. I'm going to guess you did 12. Do you want to get beat by somebody that only feeds their pigs 12 times a week instead of 14? Ask yourself that question. What winner, what type of effort do you want and do you expect from the person that's beating you? And my challenge to you is to match that effort, right? Match what you just described. 
So if you're okay with getting beat by somebody with dirty pins, have dirty pins because that's who you're going to get beat by. Hmm. That is a great way to look at it, actually. I've never looked at it that way. And that's a good that's a good kind of visualizer that kids can think of and be like, oh, actually, that makes sense. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if somebody would have told me that as a kid, I'd be like, oh, wow. You know what? The winners probably clean their pins out every day or twice a day yeah. like you guys or, or it's anything like that. I mean, they're not missing feedings. They're not – they're washing at least – two to three times a week, if not once a day. They're walking yep. every day. I mean, they're doing a lot yep. a lot more things than probably the average person. I think the other thing, too, is – now, let's flip that to the other side where you have people that are just working themselves to death, but they're not doing the right things. Mm. You know, I feel bad for those people, too, because what I tell our kids – and I, not this doesn't always work, okay? I want our – because usually – let's say I've, I, I meet a new family – and they've got, you know, like an eighth grader or somewhere right there. And they've always been kind of a, you know, get the truck kind of family. Most of the time, stereotypically, they put too many pigs on feed. They listen to too many people. They call five different people, ask them for, you know, all that advice. They take all their advice, mix it together. So they basically take nobody's advice. And they're very frustrated in the barn. Mom and dad are yelling at the kids. There's so much work to do. There's too much sacrifice for not enough winning because the chores are dragging on into the night. And typically those families are really the way we grew up where they can't afford these, you know, $1,000 pigs that go all the way up to $10,000 pigs or whatever it is. You know, they're probably families that like to spend four or $500. What I typically tell those people is go, okay, you spend $400 on a pig, $500 a head. And you're buying 10 pigs. So just let's just spend the 5,000. Whoa, 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 whoa. You know, they want to balk at that because their turnout rate's been so low, right? That that doesn't seem like a good deal. But what I tell them is, is buy as many pigs as you as your facilities will allow you to get those chores done in 30 minutes. And I mean a real 30 minutes. Set your clock to it. And when you think about it, that's a long time. 30 minutes of efficient time. I should, if I clean pens that morning, I should be able to clean, you know, scrape the front, pick stalls, however you want to call it. In about 10 minutes, I can get our pens really clean on 10 head. At that same time, when I'm in there, I check their water and I scraped out their feeders. So it took me 10 minutes to get ready to feed. So I'm not saying I'm going to get every pig walked in 30 minutes, okay? I'm just telling you, I'm going to provide life and provide those three main things, clean feed, clean pens, clean water in about 20 minutes. Okay. And so then I'm going to cycle one or two pigs out and we're going to start working as a team and walking those pigs. I think what some people do is they just go out there and they'll just kill themselves in the barn for two hours and they look back at their body of work and they really didn't do a great job. They went out there and everybody's fighting and arguing. And so what I would tell people is kind of fit to grow. Like, Let's rein it back in on terms of numbers. Let's get it back to where it's a manageable, exciting number of pigs. Let's feed two or three. Let's let's get where we can do all these chores really quickly, still efficiently, and then let's celebrate getting better, um, put some reasonable goals in place, and um, I, I think you can – momentum's a heck of a thing to try to stop, right, at that point. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit of a, a quality over quantity maybe mindset yeah. would be good. And, and really, even though you'd be spending a little bit more money on the pig and 
saving some money on, on shavings and feed and input costs and things like that. My main focus is, is I want to save that kid's time. You know, if it's, if it's a 45 minute effort on a school night, that's great. I want you getting your chores done and then get out of here. Don't, don't hang out in the barn. Like let's, let's get that time done. And then I'm a big person on balance. And so let's go play baseball. Let's go do some other things. And then when we've got some extra time, we can come back out. And so we're, we're kind of a two trip family in the afternoons to the barn. We'll get our, we'll get our chores done. Um, we might go play baseball and then we might come back out there, you know? Um, but, uh, I don't want the kids to get out there and spend two hours in the barn and feel like hard, hard labor because it'll burn them out real quick. Yeah. And I, I think there's something to be said about getting two really high quality pigs and instead of five and learning how to do two of them really good. I mean, learning the chores to do, to work with two livestock animals really good before you go to five or 10 or, or whatever, or multi-species. I mean, there, there's definitely something to be said about starting off slow and uh, kind of just easing into it. Well, it's a bizarre thought to where like our kids just started baseball. So for me next year to put them on three different baseball teams at the same time would be just insane. But that's what we do because Remember, winners focus on winning, losers focus on focus on winners. And so after we get our butt kicked the first year, we think, well, what would the guy do that beat me? Well, he fed a lot of pigs. Well, that's what I'm going to do. No, no, no. What he did was he kept clean feed, clean pens, clean water, and he found good pigs too. Let's do the things that are in your control. What are the things that are in your control? You know. And so um, th- there's, a, there's a rationale of losing that I think about all the time. Like when somebody gets beat at something, the first thing is – well, the judge was terrible, right? Because that's out of their control. They don't have to blame themselves. Well, the winners are all cheaters. Well, they don't have to blame themselves. You know, well, you know, they, they go through this rationale of justifying how they lost without first starting going, you know, we got to get our skin and hair better. We have got to get our skin and hair better. We have to work more on showmanship. If we do that, I think good things will happen. And so we try to do it as a family too, is on the way home is – be innovative in the way we are at the house and i'm not trying to beat all these people we're just trying to beat our last show set you know we're not i can't compare myself to all these people that are so great at this already i just have to compare ourselves to the mabry family six months ago and just try to get better yeah yeah well you said something earlier that I wanted to bring up too. You said that you had, and this, you said that this might be a whole podcast. We don't have to get too deep into it, but you have a thing about money and privilege. Mm-hmm. And I have to uh, say that I have kind of grown up with a similar mindset. And sometimes the show industry does not help me when I'm thinking that way uh, sure. because there's so much money flying around. And uh, when I was showing, I, do, I didn't have a bunch of money to throw around. I was very fortunate with, um, family members that could help me out when the time came. Uh, but my, my family personally, my immediate family, it was kind of just on my own and my uncle to help me. So how, how do you kind of navigate that nowadays, especially now, just because there's, there's so much money flying around this industry? Well, it's not a bad thing, right? I mean, of course not. Of course. Well, not. What, I, what I want to make sure is, is what I don't like is when people, I don't know if this is a word, but villainize people who spend money on their livestock. Because let me just fair warn everybody listening. If I hit the lottery tomorrow, I'm going to spend a lot of money on show pigs. 
because, um, and maybe a bass boat for Kenton, but a lot of money on show pigs. And so um, I probably have as an adult, adult more of a curiosity about money when it comes to somebody spending $50,000 on a show barrel, okay, um, than I do a, a form of jealousy. Because just remember this. We all spend the same amount of money on show pigs more than we thought, right? More than we thought. And so that number's different for everybody. I think you have to focus on how much you can spend, it not work, and you still want to do it again or still enjoy it, okay? That's the equation. Yeah, I mean like whatever that number is because I can tell you this. I remember when my dad would buy a $400 pig and – he wrote a check that he probably didn't know how he was going to get it to work. Yeah. And so we, we, we were the poorest family in our town. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, when Thanksgiving happened, we would get food brought to our house. I mean, we just, we were not a wealthy family by any means. And so, um, I was so beyond jealous that I was just, it was just such a normal feeling to not have any kind of financial well being. And so, um, it, it so I don't necessarily struggle with that now. I, when I say struggle with privilege, I don't mean like the privilege to buy money. Um, I, when I grew up, I noticed there were kids, and even in college, you know, they might push the boundaries of certain things because there was a safety net of wealth or financial stability behind them that they didn't have to worry about. Whereas for me, my mom was a single parent when I was in college, Um did not have any kind of money backing her. And so although emotionally I was not on my own, financially she still helped out as best she could. I knew going forward this was, there was nothing for me to fall back on, okay? And so um, it, I felt more pressure than a lot of those kids. But I will tell you this, I'm very thankful for that because I have a different attitude about it. And so everybody has their own situation that they're dealt with. I don't villainize the people who spend lots of money on pigs because – I kind of wish I was there with them. I'm not jealous of them by any means because I think at the end of the day, you know, um, they're doing what they feel is best for their family and putting their kids in the best way to win. And I can't blame them for that at all. And my, my main thing about money is I think it makes certain people feel inferior or that they have no chance. And I would tell you this, there's nothing further than the truth because here's the deal. Us people who want to spend, you know, $1,000, $500, whatever our number is, $400, somebody who's going to spend $50,000 on a pig is probably not willing to spend 300 on a pig. And so – and we all know the stories of those pigs that are no sales at people's sale or they were late bloomers or whatever it is. You know, you just want to be that great home that a breeder says, man, you know who needs this pig? That family that just always has great skin and hair and they just need a – they need a, a good pig, you know. And so – Create your own opportunities through great skin and hair, great showmanship, and those basics, and I promise you, you will upgrade those pigs. You will do a great job. And the other thing is if there are those kind of, you know, I call them that villain mentality where, you know, I hear these stories like, well, that kid's not even working on this pig. They've got a hired guy. I'm like, okay, so it's you guys versus a guy making $10 an hour? <laughs> like, I love that. I mean – Heaven forbid. I mean, these these people who have money, they're they're successful people. They're they're great business people, entrepreneurs, and they're hardworking. They have a ton of drive, and that's how they got their financial stability. I hope that guy doesn't ever go out in the barn. Then we're screwed, you know. 
And so I think at the end of the day, like you got to really build it around your own situation where just focus on what you can control. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you used it as kind of a, um, a motivation tool. I mean, you, mm-hmm. I mean, you were a Texas state officer. You went to junior college to judge livestock. You went to senior college to judge livestock. You did what you wanted to do. And it sounds like you use that as kind of a backing for, as motivation, as support. Yeah, actually, that makes me feel old. It is my 20th year state officer union this summer. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. Are you going to go to uh, the state convention? I am. It's in Fort Worth this year. Nice. So we were actually uh, just yesterday as a group kind of starting text chain back and forth and getting some updates on some guys we haven't stayed in contact with. A lot of them I've stayed in contact with, but there's been a couple of guys that, you know, it's just over time. Everybody kind of drifts apart. So I'm excited to see everybody's male pattern baldness and, and beer guts <laughs> 20 years later the things yeah, change right they do man rapidly it's crazy different jobs different occupations everything like that you just so you worked for cargill for like 15 years you just switched positions and like you're back for cargill so sunglow is still owned by what, cargill good yep. point actually Yep. Thank you, Brad. I appreciate that. <laughs> it's a Cargill's a, a large company, but yeah, I started with Cargill Meat Solutions out of college, and I've been a cattle buyer on the um, finished cattle side. So I would buy cattle, um, oh, probably a hundred thousand or so a year, depending on the year, and then send those to slaughter. So you probably bought like a million head. I bet I did. Right at it. Yep. Right oh at a million head of cattle. Yeah. That's a lot of head. It's that's, crazy. That's got to be very- wild just to be like on that front. I mean, everybody's buying meat at the grocery store. Everybody does, everybody's buying a hamburger. But to actually be at the front lines right there for Cargill, I mean, that's yeah. that's a large portion of what people are going to eat. Yeah, it's cool business. It really is. It's complex. And uh, at the same time, uh, I'm really glad to be in this industry. I mean, I, I've always wanted to do something like this. Um, I've just always wanted to be part of this and I, I i love what cargill stands for you know i always told this to my to my cattle feeders too i I've, I've never seen anything in cargill that made me raise an eyebrow about our business practices or you know not honoring our agreements or something like that i mean we, we've got a core set of fundamentals that just you know encompasses all of our business units and um and even switching over to animal nutrition side um it, it, it there's a there's a common trait of all this that um you know it's a very very reputable company they do a lot of things it's a very it's just got a very good uh culture that runs through it and um but as far as like my daily tasks and stuff sometimes on the cattle feeding side i mean it's a very um antagonistic role where you're always you know you're setting price and so anytime you're negotiating um both people you know the definition of a compromise is two people losing, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you don't get what you want. So mm-hmm. um, at the end of that day, I mean, like, you know, you're always working on compromise and, and, and becoming a very savvy trader and learning how to trade, negotiate with people. And, um, and those are great skills. I'm glad I learned them. But at the same time, I really feel even though I'm selling feed, um, I'm really supporting more of a lifestyle. I mean, the truth is I know I'm in an industry that is, some would say, it, it's not a, uh, it's it's not given to us. We we learn that that old cliche of you know we, we're not going to be able to show pigs or you know this is something we should be thankful for. I mean we really learned that in the last year. And so, um, but with this role allows me to interact with families and help them. And um, you see a common thread through all these families 
that they just want to get better at something. And if they think that Sun Glow can be a piece of that and I can be a piece of that, man, it's it's kind of a fun ride. I mean, it's a, it's a really cool thing to, sh- to ha- have these conversations with people. And some of them I've had, I'm like, hey, uh, you're the Maybreeze from like 25 years ago. Let me help you out. Okay. I know you, you don't have a feed problem. You've got this problem. You know, go, let's get our pimps clean. You know. Yeah. Back to basics. Up. Yeah. And I don't care what, you know. And what's funny is we have such a big industry of people that um, uh, feed everything. They feed all the brands, you know. They might feed a, an additive for Sun Glow, and they're, they're wanting to try some of our complete feeds or vice versa. And um, I like talking to all those people. Because I, w- I, I was just about to ask you that. Like, how, how do you deal with customers that, like, feed Mormons as a base feed? Yeah. But then Sun Glow supplements or, uh, or, or Linder supplements or – vice versa i mean that has to be kind of confusing to to work out sometimes yeah i don't think so because at the end of the day i think first of all we we've got a lot of great options in our industry i mean that's the fun thing about it is you know we're not pigeonholed into being able to feed one thing and so um i i, I tell people all the time like hey first thing you need to feed is the thing that you can get and, and the other thing you need to feed is something that that you're confident in you know like what's your confident feed like what do you really what do you feel like when you crack the bag that you're getting that that puts you in the best position to win, you know? And so I don't really try to talk people out of what feed they're feeding. Uh, I try to talk them out of a situation that they're in. I, I feel like sometimes people, you know, they're trying to be loyal to a, um, a you know, a particular uh, feed, but they can't get it, you know, or, or uh, or most people, they feed memories. You know, I got this pig two years ago, and we fed him this, and then he won. I'm like, <laughs> I hate to break the news to you, but uh, he's dead. Yeah. You know, like, we've got a new set of pigs on feed. And that so, was two years ago. It, it's yeah, changed a little since then. Yeah. So I, I don't I – don't, I don't, I, of course, I, I definitely encourage as, as much uh, sun glow as I possibly can, and I, I think um, – I really trust our product line. Um, I really do. I think it's very competitive. Um, I think it's very innovative. I love our products, but um, I, I let them do this, the talking for themselves. I, I yeah. think people need to feed that. And, and there's situations where, um, you know, we've got to do a better job logistically getting our feed out too. And we're working really hard at doing that so we can reach as many customers as possible. Yeah. We are legitimately, I mean, you said it yourself, we're so lucky to have so many um, different companies that have given us opportunity to feed high quality feed. I mean, it doesn't matter what company yeah. you go with, ADM, Cargill. I don't I don't know who Lender is owned by, but um, I mean. Lenders. Even, what's that? Lenders owns Lenders. Oh, okay. <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you're right. I mean, we are, we're very blessed with high quality feed nowadays. Uh, yeah. And, and it, pretty much people can pick exactly what they need given that they can get it in i mean that's a big thing that you yeah. said too that that was huge when uh when i was showing livestock it was hard for us to get sun glow in. it was hard for us to get lender in and we were not that's why i fed mormons a majority of the time once yeah. kind of we were later in <clears throat> my years of showing that's when sun glow was getting pretty big so we could get it out there and experiment but it is fun too i mean it's fun to experiment with different feeds as well well, and I think that is one of my favorite things about make this job transition is, you know, it, it, I was not allowed to communicate with other cattle buyers being a cattle buyer. You know, that's not allowed. Oh, it's wow. Like you know, you can't do that. You can't go eat lunch with cattle buyers. 
Um, it's just, you're just not allowed to do that. So, um, you're, it's, it's just a different role in that regard. And so, but this, I mean, I look at the lineup of, of people that are, you know, um, in the show feed business and some of my favorite people are also my competitors in terms of what feed brands they work for. I mean, I think Al Schminke is one of the greatest humans on the planet. The family is one of my favorite humans and he, 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 uh, um, helps out with Mormons and Kelton Mason was my livestock judging coach at Texas A&M helps out with lenders and he's a phenomenal guy and just an incredible livestock mind of all species. And, uh, I always love, uh, you know, visiting with him when I get the chance. And so, um, that's cool. I, I I'm never going to let companies dictate who your friends are and that kind of stuff. And that's never been a culture within Cargill or Sunglow or anything like that. So no. that in, our industry is just too good to let something like that happen. True. We're just too good, you know? Well, it seems like you get some more one-on-one customer time too. I mean, and that's from just talking to you for the hour that we'd been on the phone and maybe the hour that we talked before the, the pre-interview you i think you're a very personable person you like face-to-face contact you like talking to people and showing them and teaching so i mean it, it seems like a really good fit i do i i, I know that we, everybody jokes around you know about saying like oh it's you know I, I don't like people i don't like people and you know i'm i really do i really do like people and i i uh I, one of my favorite things is um I said earlier, I moved 10 times before I graduated high school. And then I moved five times before in the first seven years I worked for Cargill and we moved again. And, and I hope we made our last move. Um, none of my moves have been planned, but this one feels really permanent. We love this community in Crawford. I mean, it feels like God drove us here. Um, but one of the biggest blessings of that, of all those moves, is it allowed me to make some really good friends, and they're spread out across the country. I feel like I could blow a tire in any state and have a buddy there to help me. And uh, I, I, I'm so thankful for going to the former stock show that time because it brought me so many friends that are spread out across the country. Um, my judging team at Blackhawk was incredible. Um, somebody you need to maybe even have on your podcast at some point, uh, like Dustin Bauer that runs CryoSires. I think he's got an incredible, innovative business where he's really, really, um, you know, trying to convince the show world to utilize more frozen semen and uh, and is doing that and growing. And, you know, he was on my judging team at, at Blackhawk. And uh, and then you, the team that I had at uh, A&M was Levi Canales, incredible livestock mind, and uh, Todd Byers awesome livestock mind and a guy named Cody Ruff that raises some incredible Charlotte cattle. Uh, uh, we had Lauren Schrader that has an incredible set of uh, cattle. There's a guy named Josh Powell that I've uh, got pigs in the barn right now. I think he's one of the smartest livestock minds out there and uh, he's just a quiet guy. And so not a lot of people know who he is. Yeah. People will, you know, and, and matter of fact, I got a chance to judge one of these virtual shows and they said I could pick anybody but I wanted to judge it with me, and I got Josh to judge it with me. I just think he's so intelligent. Um, we just had a great, great um, college experience, and I think the movement um, across the country allowed me to do that. So I've enjoyed a lot of friends. I'm very, very blessed in that regard. Yeah. No, it's incredible who you can meet in this industry, and it's and it's interesting because you're almost just drawn to them even before you talk to them too. I mean, especially with judging teams. You're most yeah. drawn to each other even before you get in that first class or 
you go to that first workout or the first contest, you guys are already good friends talking up a storm. It's, it's so easy to conjure friendships in this industry because we're such, we're so niche. I mean, we're, yeah. we're pretty weird compared to other people. I, man, I love that word. I say it all the time. We are a weird group of people. Oh, heck yeah, you know, we even, are. Even, even, let's just say there was a group of people you didn't like, they, I'm not saying you don't like them, but, uh, maybe they weren't your favorite people, but you just not chummy with them. If you saw them in an airport, you're going to go get chummy with them. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, like, you know, we're a weird group. I always say this, like, if you're sitting on an airplane and somebody asks you what you do for fun and you tell them you show pigs, like they're going to give you the armrest, man. Like they're going to stare out the window. Like, <laughs> we have such a small group of people. And, uh, and, and even with that, like I feel like we, we kind of rub each other the wrong way a lot, but um, just at shows, you know, I mean, we sometimes we're cramped in a barn and we're fighting over the end pin or where are you going to put your chairs or your crock pot? But it's it funny how we all figured out by the end of the show. And next thing you know, everybody's kids are eating all each other's snacks. And it's just, we, we, we have a phenomenal culture at a very, very competitive event that, uh, it, it uh, we always leave with new friends. We always leave with, you know, the boys talking about, you know, meeting their friend at the next show. And so, um, we're very blessed. We have no idea how blessed we are as an industry. We really are. We really are. Well, Brad, um, I think that's all the time I'll take up from you. Done about an hour. Yeah, there we go, man. I, I wanted to tell you when I first knew to uh, have you on the podcast, it was at Arizona Nationals a couple of years back. Um, I, I think you judged showmanship. Mm-hmm. And you completely, and I don't judge a bunch of shows. But you completely changed the way I judge showmanship that day because you were so vocal about everything that you saw. You were telling the kids everything that they needed to do. I mean, that I think you judging that show was the most I've heard a judge speak on the mic ever. And it just like it inspired me. I was like, this is what every judge needs to do. Just lay out the whole thing. Tell me. Tell everybody. So... I wanted to tell you quick, and I don't judge a bunch of shows, but you definitely had a huge impact on me just in judging showmanship about really taking time and trying to be vocal and, and trying to say every single opinion and everything that brought your decision to fruition. So I appreciate that. Man, I appreciate you saying that. It means a lot. I, I think, you know, just remember this about kids. Is they know the truth. They know when they should have won. They know yep. when they should have got beat. They know that. And so... And if you don't leave them with something to get better at, you didn't do a good job. And, and, and so tell them why they got 10th. You know, tell them. Uh, it, it, whatever it is, whatever is on your mind, tell them. You know, um, and and I think that allows them to justify that. It gives them something to work on at the house, you know. It does. And, and I think um, judging a show is very hard. It is a very thankless role, and sometimes I question why I continue to do it, you know. But at the same time, it is also a very honorable thing. You know, I get a call to judge a jackpot show or a county fair somewhere, I think, man, they trusted me to come here and, like, set up their county fair. And there's 254 counties in Texas, and I always say, you know what the most important one is? Mine. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, there's just nothing more important than somebody's county fair. I mean, you got to live with these people, you yeah. know? And so uh, I try to take that stuff very serious because I do think it matters. Um, and I think when you're judging and for the younger guys that are starting to come up and judge, and um, the reason why the Al Schminkies have done it for so long 
is because they take as much time sorting ninth and tenth as they do first because ultimately you do need to name a champion. But the most important placing that you have is the next one you're about to pull because it really matters to people. Yeah. You know, and, and, and explaining yourself, no matter what comes to your mind, is, is very important to just put what's really in your heart out there and then let people judge that for what they may. Yeah. Um, it kind of goes back to what we started the conversation off with about kind of how we were trying to get more recognition of that second, third, and, and fourth place. Right. Those the second, third, and fourth place only make the first place even better with the more that you can describe it and the more you can tell the outside people, hey, these are why these three make this one so gosh dang good. Yeah. 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 I agree 100%. I agree 100%. I won't be too far from you. I think I'm doing Reno – uh, this audible show coming up. So that's pretty fun. far, but <laughs> hey, when you're from Texas, yeah, true. Texas, you're just like, uh, out West. We need to so. get you in Arizona. There, there's more okay. shows in Arizona coming up. All right. Yeah. So. Have me down there. Yeah. It's a good place. It's a, it's a gorgeous place. Oh man. That's great. I thought you were in California. You're in Arizona. Arizona. Yeah. Man. Gosh dang it. That is far. Okay. never mind. It's, it's, it's a ways I've been, to, I've driven to Reno from here and it's, it's a drive. I've never been to Nevada. I've checked off like I think twenty four states now, and that'll be number twenty five. So uh, I don't think I'm here after that. <laughs> I don't want to uh, offend any Nevadans. I don't even know what that is, but it doesn't really matter to me that whole state. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, I mean, well, the northern I'm part. You got. Like, now, I think you got Yosemite in the northern part. Um, which that's beautiful, but like Reno and Vegas, those are about the only places. Other than that, it's flat and desert. And I really can't talk much because I live in Arizona, but gosh dang. You know, what, you know what's going to make that place really cool? What's that? Putting show pigs in it. In, uh, in Vegas or in, in Nevada? Reno. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's going to be sweet. Reno. It'd be cool. No, that's going to be, I think this is going to be the second year that they have that show. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited about it. It's yeah. cool. That should it's, be it's good. I think um, uh, I've had Ernest Donahue, who he's been on the podcast before. I think he helps put on that show. I listened, you know, I I went back and did my homework on you and listened to a bunch of your podcasts. I like to listen to podcasts. And so uh, I listened to his podcast. So that was really good. It's actually kind of similar to the way that I grew up in terms of not knowing what we're doing. And then you look at a guy like that that's experienced a ton of success and he bases it on how he did not know what he was doing. And so that's probably why he's a very, very good coach and, you know, a mentor to people because he knows what he was doing wrong. Um, and so, uh, yeah, he's obviously a very talented guy. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I was actually thinking that kind of as we were going through your story, I was like, dang, they actually have the same story. And, and Ernest yeah. is, I mean, he's, he's realer than real. He's, I mean, he's a good guy and his passion. I mean, I've talked to him on and off air and it's, it's really easy to hear his passion and his drive just to like, just to help kids. I mean, just because yeah. he wants to help kids more than he was able to help himself at that age. I think that's probably why people, and I don't, you know, it's funny. I've never met him, but that's why people flock to him just because he's honest. I mean, I, you can hear his genuineness through the podcast. I mean, just listening to him. I, he, I, uh, I definitely see some similarities there in the way we grew up. I'm pretty sure he's on the, uh, Sunglow team. I want to say, he yeah, he does. Yeah. It's awesome. I, he, that's definitely an asset. I mean, I, I, I watched one of his videos and he, he does a great stuff, man. He does. Anybody? Well, we don't need to talk about Ernest this whole time. He, he, he can be on later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ernest, 
uh, Ernest Square. That's <laughs> yeah, true. All right, Brad. Well, hey, I appreciate you again. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. It really is an honor to have me on the podcast. I really do appreciate you for really, uh, you know, initiating uh, a lot of the podcast work in the livestock industry and it's getting it started and kind of keeping it going. And I would challenge you to keep doing that. Uh, you know, I know it's a lot of work and hard work and planning that goes into it. And, um, there's a lot of kids that are trying to find their niche in, a, in an industry that kicks them out when they're 17 and, uh, for them to kind of keep their foothold in. Um, I think you'd be surprised, uh, that how many people are going to be doing more podcasts and photography and, and more, you know, creative stuff on the side that, you know, things like this allow kids to say, Hey, I can do that. So for sure. Uh, good, good work on you, man. Well, I appreciate it. And, and well, it's up to you too. I mean, you're the front lines. You're talking to the new families, so. You just keep sending them our way, and we're going to try to get them interested. We'll, we'll do it, man. We'll <laughs> All right, it. Brad. Well, tell your, good, fam- yeah, tell your family hello and, and be safe out there. I'll do it. See you, man. Bye. Time's limited, so you must listen carefully. Well, welcome back to the our closing remarks of the episodes. Um, I'm glad that I'm back releasing more episodes. I hope you guys liked that one. Uh, my return back into the swing of things, I hope. Um, and I've got some more good content for you guys. I've got some people coming across the pond. Oh, yes. We've got some Brits coming. So uh, be excited for that. Um, it's really cool to talk to them and, and talk to them about the industry over there in England and British, um, um, the British Isles, uh, if you will. It's pretty cool. They do things a little different, um, but it's all kind of um, evolved around the same um, center, if you will. All right, guys, that's enough of me talking. I always talk too much in these things. Come back next week. I'll have an episode for you. Uh, it'll be Raymond. Raymond Ganez coming back. Uh, I hope you like it. I'll talk to you later. I love you. Bye.